Hi guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and you're listening to Specify, the Building Materials Innovation Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to help the entrepreneurs and the innovators who are making a positive difference in the building materials, coatings, and construction industry. Each episode, we'll tap leaders and experts from inside and outside the industry to provide the mental tools, skills, and insights to make an impact. Today's guest is Jim Kunkel, the manager at SSPC, and he's in charge of development and membership engagement. For those that don't know, SSPC is the Society for Protective Coatings. Jim is also a protective coating specialist. Jim, thanks for coming on the show. Cats, thank you for having me on. I very much appreciate this opportunity to talk to your listeners. Yeah, Jim, I have to say, I love your last name, Kunkel, because it sounds to me like someone that you just don't want to mess with. It's like, don't make me call Jim, Jim Kunkel. That surface prep doesn't look good. Don't make me call Jim Kunkel. So that's what I get. <laughs> yeah, I've had people actually shout my name as a pejorative. So when I hear Kunkel, I know I'm in trouble. <laughs> don't funkle with the kunkle is that what it is <laughs> okay tell me more about your background uh, jim well let me kind of talk about my uh, more recent history mm -hmm. in the protective coatings industry I i've been with the society for protective coatings now for near seven years and i have the opportunity to come into the industry kind of coming out of the steel industry and fabrication and, and powder coat so my background for protective coatings was more kind of than shop painting. And so I was exposed to a larger world here, a global world with SSPC. In my role as a manager of development and membership engagement, I have the opportunity to go out and work with facility owners and also engineering firms that write specifications related to protective coating project work. So it could be anything from DOTs and transportation systems. Uh, I could be water, wastewater when they're dealing with protecting concrete. And in addition to that, I also cover uh, Latin America for SSPC. And the last, relatively the last three years, we've had a, a very large increase in the amount of engagement we do, membership, chapters. And also, we're doing a lot of training and having a lot of our programs specified by major owners across Central and South America. Interesting. How long have you been doing this and what were you doing before? So in the, with SSPC, uh, it's been about seven years with SSPC. And prior, I came from the steel industry and fabrication. So my background's primarily been involved in developing business opportunities for those I've worked for. And where I kind of found my passion is here at SSPC. This industry that is protective coatings globally, it's a relatively young industry. And what I mean by that is in, our organization was founded in 1950 and we're a not-for-profit organization. What has happened is that over the years since 1950, a lot of technological advances with product, equipment, technique, and also applications has drastically improved. And this industry has drastically gone from just industrial paints to being more of sophisticated coding systems. And the future looks really great for this industry because it's been a, a strong growth industry, both on the sides of, uh, of a contractor or manufacturer organizations like myself. 
We train thousands of craft workers and even professionals. I'm a protective coating specialist, and we have people that do inspector training with us on coatings inspection and other types of training. So as much as we are a a not-for-profit, let's say, standards and trade association, we're a training provider globally. Okay, perfect. In your opinion, what are the key challenges facing the industry to move to the next level? What it comes down to is really getting information out to everybody. What I've found in recent years working with owners both in North and South America, and even engineers too as well, that there's a lot of misconceptions on how do you properly deal with the threat and the damaging effects of corrosion. And so what typically happens is there's a misunderstanding of exactly what's available out there and how to properly write a specification, but also, again, qualifying a contractor or having a craft worker who's qualified and trained perform that work. And so SSPC is very strong as a resource. And myself, I also view myself as a resource as well to get that information out there to everybody, irregardless of what the language is. So the more in this industry when it comes to information and getting information out, the better it is for everybody fully understanding. Because you have to realize when you have a steel structure or any structure and you're thinking, okay, I want to put a coding system on here. And typically these coding systems are the thickness of a business card. Hmm. And you're wanting it to get 20 or 30 years of service life of that asset. So if it's not done properly and if it's not the right product, in the right environment, it can fail and it can cost millions, if not billions of dollars worth of damage, lost productivity, or other threatening events. Okay. What's been the most successful way of getting the information out there for you today? For myself, it's been through a lot of the social media, even the professional social media like LinkedIn. LinkedIn, I have uh, relatively about almost 4,000 connections on LinkedIn. And typically when you have that number of connections, you have connections into connections into connections. So your network becomes intensified to a larger audience. And over the past uh, year, I launched a five questions interview series where I interview people from this industry, the protective coatings industry. And it helps to really educate people too that both there's a career opportunity and a pathway within this industry, but also it gets a lot of information out there on how maybe, let's say, an inspector works in Ecuador or how a coding manufacturer representative, how they work with clients and customers and things like that. The more the information I can get out there, and the same thing with my organization, the more information we can get out there, we can educate people and inform people, and then they can make the best decisions when it comes to protecting assets or, or looking at how protective coatings can really impact their daily life. Now, you brought an interesting point about LinkedIn. And I think for the coding industry, I, I definitely find LinkedIn is a, is a good channel. But I have this sort of question in my head and I don't have the, the full answer, but I, you're involved in social media quite a bit. So I'll ask you, why isn't there more coding people on those other channels like YouTube or Instagram or Twitter, why aren't there more coding people engaged in those channels? Well, I think that is a media that a lot of those medias are, are something that the industry is really never totally immersed themselves in. 
But we're starting to see that trend happening. For example, Carboline Tech Services podcast, they launched a podcast and they just celebrated 100 episodes. And they have a, a very large following and a very large number of downloads for their podcast. Let's face it, a lot of people, when you think about paints or co- industrial paint or coating, it's like watching it dry, right? So now you're going you're gonna to talk about it or listen about it, right? Not to say that this industry isn't sexy or anything like that, but there's so much technical information in this industry. We have to be able to take that technical information and we have to be able to take those concepts and be able to kind of put them into bite-sized consumable information out there. And that's where we really have to look at as an industry, what's the next evolution to get the message out there regarding protective coatings or how to fight corrosion is to use the tools that are there. It could be Facebook. It could be Instagram. LinkedIn, definitely, because it's a professional network. YouTube is something that is something that I find very interesting. And I've done a little bit in it. I do have a channel, but I want to pursue putting vlogs and and creating blogs and things like that to really help drive the message of this industry. Yeah, sounds good. Now you've been doing this, I guess, five questions thing on your on your site and your uh, blog. What is some of the sort of the key pieces of insight that when you got that sort of uh, contribution back, you looked at it and goes, "Oh, that's really interesting." Anything that really stands out of that you've sort of picked up doing that? Definitely, the first thing. Everybody that I've ever talked with, interviewed with, come across, if you ask the question of them, did you ever think when you were graduating college or you were growing up that you would be involved in the protective coatings industry? And everyone says, no, I never really thought of it. (laughs) And what happens a lot of times, the people that are involved in this industry, not to say they drew the short straw, but you're now the coatings guy or you're now the coatings gal. And that seems to be what has happened in a lot of this industry. There are people out there that are are innovators, and and I find that interesting because when I look at some of the people that create some of these coding systems, the formulations, or even the equipment, they're they're still around. Some are retiring. Some have recently passed away. But this industry is so young, and I think that's what I find find so interesting about it is because there are still pioneers in this industry that are still alive and still active, but it's the next generation. How do we... How do we channel that next generation? How do we get them to embrace protective coatings and fighting corrosion and say, this is my career. This is what I want to do. And they have to also realize that there's a great career path and a great opportunity financially to have reward by pursuing this career in protective coatings. Yeah. Very cool. So you mentioned uh, Carboline in their podcast. I mean, what sort of other industry things have you seen? Like whether it's a contractor or whether it's an inspection firm or, or, or an asset or facility owner, any best practices that you kind of noticed that were phenomenal in your opinion? Oh, definitely. I think what it comes down to is participating within different organizations within uh, the industry. And a good example would be participating with my organization or, or NACE International, for example. When you look at both of our organizations, our goal is to really educate, inform, and help the asset owners out there, and also to contractors and others that are out there, to really have a full understanding of what is available, both technology, best practices when it comes to standards, 
And then also, too, training the workforce. If you're a specification writer, looking at a protective coding specialist certification. If you're a craft worker, being the best abrasive blaster, being the best coding applicator you can be. Because we find that the better the skill set, the more valuable you are to an asset owner, a contractor, or even the industry overall. Very cool. Now, what role do you think robotics and all the, that sort of technology will play in the uh, coding industry going forward? We are seeing a lot of that happening related to more related to, for example, surface preparation on, on tanks. Uh, so you see some of the units are hydro units where they're, they're more water jetting, but they also have abrasive blast units as well. We are starting to see some of the technology move into the industry. The human element of it, it's tough to have a robot prep a steel bridge. <laughs> so we're not quite there yet with the technology. So the human aspect of it is still very, very relevant and very dependent on these projects to have skilled, developed workforce to be able to do that. And that's also been a challenge too. We, we are finding in this industry that it's been very difficult to attract people to come in, young people to come into the industry and become an abrasive blaster. You got to realize when you're doing abrasive blasting, you're almost wearing a space suit and you're mm-hmm. typically in a space that could be confined. It could be tarp. It could be, it's not everybody that can do that. It's hard work. It's rewarding work. It's also can bring a very, very good paycheck to somebody. So really looking at this industry and saying, yeah, we have technology that's coming in, but we still have a heavy reliance on human activity. And I think there's a counterbalance that's going to be achieved where you're going to see a combination of the robotics, machines, and also the human side of it as well. What do you think the key to solving this labor challenge is going to be, in your opinion? I have two adult daughters, and our, my wife and myself are literally, are, while they were growing up, we kept pushing college, college, college. And, and college is great. I went to college twice. And, but we really have to educate our children that there are other career paths that you can go, and you can make a very good income. And I think looking at the protective coatings industry, that's something that the industry overall needs to do a better job of. And there has been a lot of effort related to that. NACE has programs and focuses. SSPC has programs and focuses. Even the coating manufacturers have the same thing because, again, they want to be able to sell product, but they know that they need to have the workforce in order to apply their products on the asset owner's uh, structures and things like that. The asset owners want to have that skilled labor and workforce. So I think what we see a lot of times is you have a combination of things. Expressing to our children that there's opportunities, and it doesn't always involve college, but also, too, we have to really look at the industry and say, how can we all come together, work together to help recreate a labor force and have a stable labor force that can provide these services and be able to do do these uh, particular jobs. Very nice. What sort of adversity have, have you faced? I mean, is there, has there been kind of a turning point in your life or your career where you sort of felt transformed? Well, for me, I recent time, really, I think what a, a transforming event for me was becoming a protective coding specialist. Hmm. My exposure in this industry, like I said, was more related to fabrication and, and shop painting and powder coating more, more than anything. And I did learn a lot 
being a staff member of SSPC, but I also picked up a lot of information from the people I work with, the people I meet, and also the people I connect with. And it really helped me prepare. And once I was able to qualify to become a protective coding specialist, I, I had to do it because I felt that it was important for me to show everybody that, yes, I, when I talk with people, I do understand exactly what their challenges are. And not that I might have all the answers, but I can be able to help them in some capacity, if not find them the help that they needed or the answers that they needed to a particular question they might have or a situation. Very nice. What sort of, do you have any top habits or routines for success? Obviously, I see you traveling around and you're a busy guy. What do you go back to for your top habits or routines for success? Well, the thing with, for me, is that I find myself, I'm not afraid to pick up a phone and and talk with somebody. I'm not afraid to ask any questions because the only way you can get answers or or even learn, you've got to be able to be open and ask questions. So every day for me is a learning opportunity. So I do like to immerse myself. And I think with the travel that I've done, it's really helped me professionally advance myself, again, being kind of relatively kind of green in this industry. It's helped me immerse into the industry a little bit better. And also, a lot of people have come to recognize that, again, I can be a resource or that I am a resource for them. And I really appreciate a lot of the the veterans in the industry, the staff and the membership that we have with our organization, um, because they really helped kind of get me to where I'm at now professionally. And then also, I listen to them. They want more content. So that's why you've seen a lot of things related to maybe some video work I do, the five questions interview series, a lot of the posts that I do, and then looking at how can I expand on that, looking at doing blogs and doing vlogs as well, you know, doing video work as well. So there's a lot of ways for me to utilize, as you, we mentioned earlier, the technologies to help me both professionally and also personally. Very good. Now, is there how about, do you have hobbies? Jim, do you have hobbies? I definitely, yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely have hobbies. I like to do a lot of work outdoors. So typically it's involving more, more today doing walks and things like that and gardening and things like that. I know it's kind of weird to have somebody like myself say they like to garden, but I do like to grow things. That's kind of really my hobbies. It could be tough when I travel a lot. So I, I rely on my wife. <laughs> what do you like to grow? Stuff like it'd be like tomatoes, any type of food. My wife is really into uh, cooking, so it might be growing some things that we can throw into a a pot to spice it up or kind of accessorize a meal. Yeah, sounds like a a fun hobby. It got your uh, wife involved (laughs) as well, so it's it's very nice. Last question. Is there anything I should have asked you but didn't? I don't think there is. I, I think we covered a lot of stuff that, I think it's key and important to me. So, yeah, I'm sorry, Tess. I don't really have anything on that. Hey, you don't have to. I just, I just asked the question. I mean, you're involved in lots of different marketing stuff and it's, it's very cool to see someone like yourself really focusing in on in the coding industry. Cause that's one of the things that I haven't seen much of because sometimes like I love using these tools, right? On social. And sometimes I feel yeah. like I'm the only one doing it. And I'm like, I'm trying to look for other people that are kind of doing it. going to have fun and share ideas. But but then I start to see you do it more. And I think you're bringing other people with you. And I, I find that exciting because I think 
I think there's a lot of dialogue that could happen between people. And I think you have your site, I think coding talk is what you're sort of creating there is, I think, a great channel to do that. Yeah, and, and you're 100% right on that. I think what it comes down to is as we start to see, you know, NACE just launched a podcast, you know, SSPC's looking at podcasts and, and doing other type of content as well. So I think the more people witness these conversations happening on different platforms, you'll start to see other things turn up. We talked earlier about the Carboline, your podcast, the things that you do. And I think really it helps show the industry that you want to get information out there, you really want to elevate yourself, this is an opportunity for you. Take advantage of these platforms. Well, thank you so much, Jim. Thank you, Tats. I appreciate the opportunity. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.